fill-in-the-blank Christianity, right? They were trying to add adjectives to the Christian um, practice, and that, that was kind of the issue. So <clears throat> the, the way I kind of describe it, what we're going to see in this passage is you've got your people who were saved, and they're kind of like barely in the front door, and then you've got these super Christians, right? They're doing all these extra things, and by doing these things, they're kind of making more of themselves. They're You've got to, to, to become this more than basic Christian, you've got to follow these rules. You have to obey these commands. You have to do all of these extra things uh, to really get to that next level of your Christianity, right? To be a, a good Christian or a godly Christian or a mature or solid Christian, you have to do all of these things in order to achieve that. So as they speak of these things, as these things begin to infiltrate the church, right, their, their thought is, if we do these things, we're unlocking heaven. We're unlocking this special blessing that only God can give us if we do these things. Now, the sad reality, like I said, is as far as these things being recycled, we see the same thing today. And I like to call it, I mean, it's nonsense, right, to try to tell people if you do these things, you can be a, a better Christian, a more godly Christian. Uh, we see this in the Word of Faith movement, uh, in the prosperity gospel, even in some Pentecostal non-denominational churches where, you know, you get saved, but then there's a second blessing, right? You can get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's when you're really going to be a Christian and really serve God and really be able to do these things that, that God has called you to. And I call it nonsense because these sorts of things, um, it, it all finds its root in mysticism, right? Mysticism is something that the Colossians were dealing with something that we still deal with today, right? You do these things and God's going to bless you in this special way and you'll be a better Christian uh, for doing it. But if we just go back a couple of verses from our passage today in verse 4, Paul is already combating this thought and kind of reaffirms it in our passage today in verse 4 when he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then he went on in verse 8 to say, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, right? He's letting them know these things are going to try to pull your attention away. They're going to try to tell you if you do these things, you'll be a better Christian. Um, but none of these things are, are actually what they, what they appear to be because they're not according to Christ. Now, the, the sad truth, the, the cold hard truth about these sorts of doctrines and many that we see today is these, these destroy homes, they destroy lives, they destroy churches and, and, and marriages. Uh, if when we are not following God's word according to the way that he has called us to follow it, but we've added these other things to it, <clears throat> these things are human in origin, they're not built according to the word of God, and all they can do is lead us astray. Jesus talks about this when he's referring to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, when he, uh, verse 9, when he says, In vain do they worship me? teaching as doctrines or truth the commandments of men. So Jesus dealt with these type of issues with the Pharisees. Paul and the apostles dealt with these similar issues in the, the letters that, that we have in the New Testament. Uh, and then we get to see the same kind of stuff today. It, it doesn't go away. It continues, right? As, as long as this light shines, bugs and pests are going to try to flock to it and blot it out. <clears throat> but if we were just to go back to New Testament time and say, you know, this is just a New Testament thing, we, we would be selling ourselves short. This problem originated in the garden. Whenever Eve was being tempted by Satan, by the serpent, 
you know, they, they said, did God really say these things? Did God really say you can't eat of the tree? And what did Eve say? She said, well, God told us, this is what God said, we can't eat it or touch the tree lest we die. So the problem that we have as people is we have a problem of adding to God's word. That, that just is always a thing that we tend to do. God will say this, and it's perfect and pure, and then we have to add to it thinking we're making God's word better or, more, or clearer or, or whatever. But this is the problem for us, right? God's word is never enough. We always have to add to it. So with that in mind, we're going to read our passage, and we're going to look at how these different things were fill-in-the-blank issues. And to do so, we've got three points that we're going to look at. Last time I preached, um, from a couple of people I heard that the only thing they remembered was the EKG thing, right? And uh, I'm, I'm going to try to redeem that. If that's the only thing that was remembered, um, we're going to have another acronym that's kind of medically driven or derived, uh, CDC. Now, I'm not even sure what, I didn't, even, I didn't bother looking up what CDC stood for, and it, it doesn't matter, right? But CDC is another acronym that we're going to stick with today to get our point across. So this fill-in-the-blank Christianity that, that these people are putting forth, how did they, what did they use to infiltrate the church and get people to try to follow their style of Christianity? Well, like I said, CDC. They did it through condemnation, through disqualification, and through confusion. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue, those three words, but those are the, the, the best three words I can use. There were some other words I was going to use that were going to probably throw us for a loop, but CDC, condemnation, disqualification, and confusion. These are the three points that we're going to look at over the course of our passage to kind of get that across. So without any further ado, let us read our passage. Uh, this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. We will read it and then kind of walk through it a couple verses at a time. This is the word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through the, its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we come to you, Lord, and we need you to speak to us in this time. It is us, Lord, who tend to add to your word and... Um, really heap judgment on ourselves for trying to keep up with something that is not necessarily written in your word. But your word is what sets us free. It's your truth that sanctifies us. It's your truth that um, has its way within us. Help us to focus on you and what your word says um, and seeking, seek to use your word to uh, influence and guide every aspect of our lives. <clears throat> for we know, Lord, that your word goes forth and it does not return to you void. And all that you do, you, that you intend to do, you will accomplish. And so in this time, Lord, I just pray and ask that uh, you accomplish all that you set out to accomplish through this time, whether it be through my time of preparation, the week that you've granted me, and the insight that you've given. Uh, may you speak to your people in this time, because it's your people that need to hear from you. 
uh, right now. So I thank you. We praise you. We, we love you. And uh, we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Fill in the blank. So they tried to create a fill in the blank Christianity through condemnation, right? CDC. Condemnation. How do we see that? Well, let's reread verses 16 and 17, and we will talk about it. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right. So Jay wouldn't have worked for CDC. So I changed judgment to condemnation. Same thing. Right. Um, But let's let's back up a couple of words before past judgments and go to the word therefore. We've mentioned this tons in preaching and teaching what therefore means, right? When we see the word therefore, this is letting us know that there was something said before this verse that makes this statement true, right? When we see therefore, it's in regards to something that was previously said. So what was said before this that that makes this statement true? Well, uh, it says in verses 13 and 14, it says this. If we're talking about don't let someone pass judgment, why not? Well, in verse 13 and 14, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, right, these sins, this record of debt that we have, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen is right. That is That's a humbling truth, but it's a beautiful truth at the same time to know that all the sins that I have committed, committed today, that will ever commit, all these things Jesus Christ died for. They were nailed to the cross. Because that's true, we cannot allow anyone to pass judgment on us, right, because our judgment, the record of debt, was already canceled. It had been paid for when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Now, I'm not saying don't judge me because of whatever, but what we're saying is a final judgment, a condemnation, right? I'm not able to determine someone's final state. I can't send them to hell if Christ died for their sins, right? This is what we're referring to when we speak of judgment and condemnation. But if I look to my own life, right, if I look at myself apart from the grace of God, there is no good in me. I may do pleasant things. I may make people laugh or, or whatever the case may be, but there is no godly good. There was no pleasing God apart from faith. So before Christ saved me, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I had only wrath stored up for me for the sins that I committed against God. If the wages of sin is death and apart from the grace of God, all that is left for me is wrath. That's, that's the just thing for God to do, to pour out his wrath on sinners, people who have sinned against him. But God, being rich in mercy and great in love, saw fit to demonstrate his love for me, and while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Amen? Christ died for me. He died for you. I I think that's something that we need to think about more. Christ died for me, right? Personalize it. I know we don't typically do this, but I want you to say that with me, right? I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say this together because I think this is important. Can we we do that? Can we say Christ died for me, right? One, two, three, Christ died for me. That's beautiful. That's, That's what he did. Think about that. Christ died for me. 
And since Jesus died for me, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with us, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen is right. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is the truth about who we are in Christ. This is what Paul was telling us just a couple of verses before our passage. This is what's true about us as, as God's people. This is what he did when he nailed our sin to the cross. So what are the, if, if this is what Christ did for us, and Paul is letting us know in this verse to let no one pass judgment against you, what, what are some of these condemnations that they are trying to heap on the Christians in Colossae, right? If this is what's true of who we are, right, what, what are the things that they were trying to heap on the Colossians? Well, it was for not keeping the ceremonial rites of the Jewish traditions, right, the Mosaic law. Uh, specifically concerning dietary restrictions and temple worship. It's, it's these two things in particular that Paul brings up. Now, I think it's easy for us to understand the food and drink, right, because we know that there were foods that they couldn't partake of, and there was different things with drink when we think about the, um, the Jewish faith. Um, but the, a festival, a new moon, and a, or a Sabbath, that's, that's kind of like, that may not be as easy for us to understand, potentially, right? So, Food and drink, we kind of understand. What about a new moon, a, a new or a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath? Well, I was reading uh, G.K. Bill's commentary on this section, and basically one of the things he had mentioned was these were three different sorts of events that occurred in the Jewish faith. And when they were lumped in this order, uh, the way they would have been understood about the original audience is that they were, they were referring to the temple worship offered during these feasts and these celebrations that were marked on the calendar for the Jews of his time, right? These are the things that they observed over the course of their years, right? The feast of the tabernacle and booths and uh, the Passover, uh, the, the year of Jubilee, all these different things that were done. It was referring to all of these things and how there were, the, the people would make these pilgrimages back and, and offer worship during these seasons. So it was referring to, to that aspect. Of, of temple worship. So since Mosaic temple worship would have been the only thing some of these Christians uh, who were formerly Jews had known, and there was a, a reverence and a solemn attitude, a, a holy 
this was considered a holy period of time for them to, to partake in these things, for them to just kind of do away with them, it would have seemed like they were cheapening uh, the worship of God, right? In one sense, I, we can, we can kind of come to grips with that if they've done this their entire life and then all of a sudden they're saying, hey, these things were a shadow of the things to come. This is what Christ has called us to. It would, it would kind of seem like, man, we're not going to offer sacrifices anymore. We're not going to abide by these food restrictions. We're not going to honor these days, right? That sort of thing. That, that was kind of what was on their mind. And so they were trying to impose this upon the people. Now, once again, this is about worship, right? This is about how the people worshiped. And they were saying, hey, you have to do these things or you're not worshiping God correctly, right? They were keeping judgment upon the people at this time. And that kind of reminded me of some aspects of, of modern day worship that we see in, in certain circles uh, within Christianity. One of those things that, that I just want to mention briefly is the term spirit field, right? You hear, I don't know if, if y'all are familiar with that term, but I've had people approach me and ask me like, hey, is your church spirit field? And I was kind of like, well, God is who does the saves. Yeah, absolutely. Like we are filled with the spirit of God but that's obviously not what they're speaking to, right? That's, that's not the idea. And some people call themselves spirit-filled Christians. There's even a, a spirit-filled study Bible. Um, and, and so there, that's a terminology that people use when they refer to some stuff that we'll kind of refer to later. But this is one example of people trying to add adjectives, right? Fill in the blank, having a fill in the blank type of Christianity. Right, this, this Christianity is, is spirit-filled, right? We're spirit-filled Christians. Like, that, that's who we are. And for the people here in, in Colossae, right, they wanted to keep up the temple-style worship within their Christianity. And they were saying, if you didn't do it this way, it's just not, it's not really honoring God as it should. <clears throat> now, Paul here is trying to re remind them, right, of all that Christ had done for them, right? These people are pointing back to these things that were designed to point back to Christ. And, and he's letting them know, hey, this is what Christ has done. He paid it all already. He, these things were just a shadow of what he was doing. They were meant to point us back to him. And now, since that veil has been torn and Christ has paid that price for us, he is a forerunner for us into the holy place. We can approach the, the throne of grace with full confidence, knowing that, what Christ has accomplished was complete, right? When he was raised from the dead, he completed that task. And now we, that temple worship that was once holy and reverent and exactly what it was, it served its purpose. And now this is how we are going to continue worshiping God, right? He was, they were, that stuff was the shadow. Christ is the substance, right? He is the real substance and it's found in him and in him alone, so one way to say this, right, the way people would have filled in the blank, if you will, is by saying, well, you're not really spirit-filled. You're not really devoted Christians if you're not observing these restrictions, right? If you're not with abstaining from food and drink, if you're not observing these festivals, these feasts, these new moons, these Sabbath days, right? If you're not doing these things, what are you, what does your Christianity really look like, right? This, this is what real Christians do. This is what devoted Christians do. Once again, Paul is letting these people know Jesus Christ died for you. That's what he did. Once and for all, don't let these people that are trying to heap these added burdens on you, don't let them tell you any different.
So what Paul is stressing here, right, is this, don't be like these devoted people, right? You need to be focusing your attention on Christ, right? If we're focusing on what I look like or what this looks like to other people, I've lost sight of what the true purpose is. If I am being a Christian, I am being Christ-like. I don't need to be a devoted Christian, right? Being Christ-like is, is what I need to be focusing on, right? Let me focus on him, right? Let me listen to him. Let me follow him. Let me have my faith completely in him and, and reading his word and doing all the things that I'm called to instead of trying to add this adjective in front of who God has already made me to be. Yeah, the, the thing is that, that this kind of made me think of, because I do this, and this is probably why I'm titling it this way, like, it's very easy to compartmentalize people and say, you know, these people, they're, 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 they're really following God. These people just kind of come here, right? And, or if they sin a particular way, I'm like, yeah, they may not even really be Christians because they sit in this fashion, right? And, and I think the focus that we need to have is any disagreement we have, right, or anytime someone is caught in sin, it, it shouldn't be a matter of, their salvation, where they stand, uh, but did Christ die for them, right? And if the, the fact that I need to be pointing them back to Christ, right? The, the, the forsaking of, of any sin is, is a good thing, but if, if we're only forsaking sin because it's sin and not trying to honor Christ with our lives, our, our focus is off. We can get focused on all the do-nots, but we need to be focusing on who he is, right? We're not here to be better Christians. We're here to just be Christians and understand this work that God has done for us. Now, that's not to say that application isn't helpful, that having practical steps to, to honor God with my life aren't needed. These are absolutely needed. Uh, but if we equate whether someone's a Christian or not by how well they abide by these rules that I've set up in my own head, I've lost sight of what Christ has really done for me and what he's done for, for others. Right, because it's him who has saved me. It is him who has died for my sins, right? And I need to point people back to him. So that's the first point, right? That's the condemnation. That's the judgment that was going forth for these different things, right? They see these things as, as just as important as the salvation that Christ offers and, and that got them off, off, um, off, off site of what was truly important. Secondly, what's the second thing that we see? Well, they try to fill in the blank of this Christianity with disqualification. First, they're using condemnation. Now they're using this, the language of disqualification. Um, so verse 18, let me reread this one for it. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with, uh, without reason by a sensuous mind. Now this one, this word fits in... I think we all kind of know what disqualification means. If you ever played sports or you've watched competitions of any sort, right, if someone cheats or does something that violates the rules in some serious way, they get disqualified, right? They get banned, they get kicked out, they are unable to win the prize, right? The, the, the prize that, that's the, in, the, in, um, the, the purpose for everyone competing, if, that, if they've been disqualified, they're no longer eligible to win that prize, get that reward. And so this is saying, this is exactly what this word means, right? So disqualification is very similar to the word judgment that we just covered. Uh, and, and these words are no different than the word damnation, right? This is another word you can use, which is saying you're disqualified from heaven, 
right? This is essentially what is going on. These people are saying, if you're not doing these things, you're not even a Christian. So the idea, once again, is you're, if you're not doing it right, if you're not doing it like the ascetics, right, these people practicing asceticism, you're not really doing Christianity right, right? This, you're doing it incorrectly. Now, these ascetics, right, you don't have to remember how to spell it or who they even are, but essentially what these people were were these monkish type of people. They denied themselves worldly pleasures. Uh, and when I say worldly pleasures, I just mean anything, right? It could be sweets or drink or, or whatever. These people would harm themselves, right? They would either uh, abstain from eating altogether or sleeping or whatever. They basically brought harm upon themselves in order to get some, some um, godly, some spiritual insight, right? If I do these things to my body, my earthly body, my spirit is going to be renewed and, and is going to be exposed to these heavenly things. One way I kind of thought of it was like taking the idea of fasting, which is a good thing, abstaining from something for a season, but then perverting that and pumping it full of steroids. This is essentially what these people are doing, right? There's nothing wrong with abstaining from a lunch or a meal or doing a water fast or something for a couple of days. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever uh, if your motivation and intentions are pure. But these people had an end goal in mind, right? If I do these things, God is going to do this. He's going to reveal this truth to me. He's going to bless me in this kind of way, right? None of that is pointed back to Christ. All of that is about me, right? What am I getting out of doing these things the way that I see that, that uh, they should be done? And so that's, that's essentially asceticism. We have people that practice that today. Uh, now, the second part of this verse that was kind of a debated thing is this worship of angels. It sounds really simple, right? Like people are worshiping angels. <clears throat> but as I was studying this, there's people that fall on two sides of this idea, and it, it fits with the language, whether it's in English or the original language is what I've heard from uh, commentators and, and preachers. So some people believe that it's the worship of angels, and then other people believe that it's the worship offered by angels, right? Like the, the type of worship angels give is what they were trying to achieve, right? Some people believe, hey, we need to worship angels. Other people believe that what they're saying is, no, we want to offer worship, the worship of angels to God, right? They, they worship God correctly. We want to worship God the way they do. Now, these two thoughts come from two different perspectives. The... First thought is, you know, Greek philosophy was kind of big in this culture, and so the a lot of people had this false belief that there's this material world and immaterial world where everything that you can see was evil, everything that you couldn't see was pure, and if God is, is a pure being and he's elevated and he's not material, then this human flesh is unable to connect with God in a real way, worship him in a real way, so we must offer our worship as these material beings to a lesser being, which would be an angel who is in heaven, right? We're going to pray, we're going to worship to this being, to this person in heaven, and then that person is going to offer my worship, my prayers, my reverence to God, right? That's, that's what the, the perspective of worshiping angels had. The intention was not to worship angels for them, but to offer them worship in order for them to offer worship to the one true God. Now, as I thought about that, I was like, that kind of reminds me of certain churches today, right? When you think about people who light candles and offer prayers to saints, and it's like, hey, these people are in heaven already. They can offer this prayer that's perfected on my behalf to God. 
it's, it's, it's similar, right? And so the thing with that, as I, I'm like, none of these things are new, right? For someone to offer prayer to someone else in order to take that to God, this isn't a new concept, right? This concept didn't start 1,500 years ago or whenever. Like, this is something that people believe. These are different things that get recycled over time, and we see them in different ways. The, uh, on the other side about the worship, the style of angels, this is another thing that we see today. Right. If these people believed, hey, we need to formulate this plan to open heaven for us to see how they worship so we can worship in this fashion. This kind of reminds me of uh, modern church, right, where you have this concert style service. You have dim lights. The spirit begins to move. People get laid out. They worship in this very ecstatic manner. And then that's that's the true worship experience because you get chills. You get like you just get all these emotions Right, and you're you're truly worshiping. It's like you're in heaven, and it's that style, right? That's the 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 perspective that this other side is falling into, right? Because it says they're puffed up by reason of their sensuous minds, right? There, there's these. It's all sensual, like it's all about the senses, right? If I don't feel like God is here, and I don't feel like this, uh, I don't feel the 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 emotions, the tears, the the joy. If I don't feel all these things, well, God really isn't here. He's really not pleased with this worship because I don't I don't feel a certain way and so yeah as I was reading through these I'm like yeah this sounds a lot like some churches we see and this other one sounds a lot like other churches that we see neither one of these are offering uh, worship in spirit and in truth right they're they're just human devised schemes that are trying to tap into the the spiritual but they're doing it in a man-made way, right? Nothing is rooted in the word of God. All of it is just kind of emotional. It's all uh, originate in the mind of man. <clears throat> and I think, you know, some of us know people like that, that if, like I said, if they didn't cry during worship, if they weren't just crying their eyes out, it wasn't true worship, right? It, it wasn't a godly thing because I didn't feel a certain way. Now, I know when I first came to this church, that was something that I had been taught. I didn't realize it, but I remember in particular there was one time a song, the music started playing, and I was like, oh, this is my song. I can really worship to this. And it ended up being another song, and I was like, nah. And I was like, nah. And it's like, hold on. Who's being worshiped here? Right? Is it me or is it God? Um, and so, yeah, that was like a, a turning point for me where it was like, is it about the music or is it about the audience to whom my worship is going? Right? If I need to feel a certain way or hear certain songs or experience certain things in a certain way if it's the worship of angels if I'm seeing these visions and, and these are all things that I need to have a sensuous mind right without reason if this is where if all these things have to be done a certain way for my for my for me to offer worship to God this it's it's off base it's not rooted in the word of God it's it's rooted in my emotions and my feelings and it's going to lead people astray and like I said, unfortunately, there's tons of people that, that I know that, that still feel that way to this day, where they're like, you know, like, I've visited your church, but, you know, I just, I don't feel the spirit or whatever the case may be, right? I don't get those chills. But it, that's the reality, right? I'm not making fun of these people. These people have been taught incorrectly, and that's, they've tied their emotions, right, these sensuous minds to worshiping God. And so if they're not feeling a certain way about God, then God's not there, right? And then what does that tell them? Well, if God's not here with me, I'm doing something wrong, right? And, and God must not love me. God must not whatever, right? That's this 
basically it's, it's um, you're, you're, you end up condemning yourself, right? You feel disqualified if you don't have those emotions. Uh, like I said, I've been there. That's something that, like I said, whether it was done intentionally or not, something I was taught, some that a bunch of us that are here were taught, um, and, and whether they tell you you're disqualified or not, that, that tends to be the thing, right? You see other people speaking in tongues, you see other people being laid out, and you're like, what about me, right? Where, where, where am I at in all of this? But that's the unfortunate truth about Paul's day, and it's the unfortunate truth about our day. People still try to worship God the way they want to worship him instead of the way that he has commanded us uh, to worship him. And it leads to a thought of being disqualified. This is not true for those who Christ has purchased. We've already established that. But this is where the thought goes to, right, that we are disqualified. Now, moving on to our final point um, is confusion, right? CDC, condemnation, disqualification, confusion. I'm already forgetting my points. Don't hold it against me. Um, but yeah, so let's read verse 19, and we'll kind of talk about it. How does this tie in with confusion? Well, verse 19 says this, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. That is from God. Right? So you may ask, okay, I'm a little confused. Where does confusion come in when you read this verse? Well, I think the confusion comes in in what we've already seen so far. Right? If we are being led astray by these false teachings, uh, by these doctrines that are being taught uh, that are not true, they're, they're causing us to not want to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, causes this growth, which is from God. Right? If, if we are following these teachings and doctrines of men, we are being led astray. Paul opens the letter with a prayer that I think speaks to this very well. This is verses 9 through 12 in chapter 1. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right? Paul is praying that they can be fully pleasing to God with their lives. Right? They're, you don't have to add these other things to be pleasing to God. And then he tells them, which I don't think is a coincidence, that they've already been qualified. Right? Don't let these people tell you you're disqualified. Christ has already qualified you when he died for your sins on the cross. So I think it's safe to say that there is a good, if he's having to reiterate these things, there's a good amount of confusion that has come out when these man-made traditions are elevated to the level of God's word and these ideas begin to infiltrate the church. Now the, the problem that we get, right, with that is, we, and we all do this, we all do this to some extent, one or another, right? Like I said, this goes back to Eve and adding to God's word told us not to eat it or to touch it, right? In her mind, I'm sure she was thinking, you know, in order for me not to eat the tree, I can't touch it either, right? So she's trying to put up these safeguards for herself, but that's not what God said, right? We, if we go back to the garden, that's what she did, but that's what we tend to do, right? God told me this or that, X, Y, or Z, I'm going to do that plus this. That's the, that's the issue that we have, and we have this formula that we come up with that we feel like safeguards us and, and protects us against sinning against God. Right? Or 
we have a formula that we set up that we think will allow us to worship God better or to offer worship that's better unto God. Um, but if we take God's word for what it is, right, it, it is his word that is true. If we follow it, we please God, right? We are fully pleasing to God when we worship him the way that he has designed and commanded for him to be worshiped. It's, it's very simple, right? We're the, we're the complex ones that tend to complicate things and say, well, it can't be that easy for us to worship God the way that he wants to be worshiped. We got to do something. We have to be able to do something. And I remember having a conversation with someone once a couple years back, and uh, they had visited the church, and um, they had told me, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's y'all's church is cool, but like y'all preach the same thing every week. And I was like, preaching the gospel every week, like that's, you know, like we're preaching the gospel every week, like it's, but people get so used to hearing five ways to a better marriage. This is how you save your, your job. And this is how you do X. Like, they're so used to these things that are topical and can be helpful, you know. But it's like you, you lose sight of the fact that it's God's word that is most important to us. And you get focused on these things that don't really matter. Not that marriage and all those things don't matter. But if we are hearing God's word, God is going to speak to us. And it's going to affect every aspect of our life. But that's, the, that's, that's what the modern, a lot of modern churches have conditioned us to sit under. That's worship, right? Loud music with dim lights and, and fantastic singers and, and these steps to a better life, marriage, health, whatever. Like all these types of things. It, it, it goes back to that. And that's not the way God has prescribed his worship. One example I want to give since it is uh, my wife's birthday this week. Uh, I want to give you an example of, I didn't do this, but I'm just giving you an example of like, okay, if, if we are to worship God the way that he has commanded, right, we, we take what God's word has said and we offer him worship that way. My wife's birthday is this week. It's Thursday, all right, just in case any of y'all wanted to know. So if, and those of y'all who know her, this is going to be fairly funny. If you don't know her too well, it may go over your head. But imagine Thursday morning, I wake up at 5 o'clock, and I go and wake up my wife, right, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, babe, happy birthday. It's your birthday. Let's get up. Let's go eat. I want to take you to this, this Mexican restaurant that's got this fantastic, super spicy plate that I just know you, you would love. And after we go do that, we're going to go. Uh, I, I found this gun range in San Antonio. We're going to go shoot guns. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful day, right? We're going to have so much fun. She don't like any of that stuff, right? I do. Those are things that I like. Not that I necessarily like super spicy, but she can't, she can't handle tomatoes. I mean, it's bad. So I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, babe. I'm kidding. So it's, it's, uh, so yeah, those are all things that I like, right? So if I, if I am trying to love my wife the way that I like to be loved, right, there's no reverence for who she is. There's no understanding for who she is if I am doing these things in this way. And in the same sense, that's what these people are doing. These are things that I want to do, and so I'm going to offer worship to God in this way. And if you don't do it like me, you're doing it wrong, right? If I went and tell all her friends, like, hey, this is what we're doing, and if you're not doing this with us, you're doing it wrong, right? Because this is what's important. This is, what, this is the way that she wants to be loved. It, it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work on a human level. It doesn't work with God, right? We are to worship him in spirit and in truth, the way that he has commanded. That, that is how we show our love towards God. So for these people who were 
insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, adhering to these Mosaic laws, right? All they could do, the only thing that they can ultimately achieve for the people in Colossae is doubt, confusion, and fear. That, that's all they could do. They couldn't draw them closer to God by offering this worship that was not prescribed by God. All it could do is, God is here, hey, make sure you're doing these things on the peripheral. That, that's, that's all that they can do. It, 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 it can serve no good to point someone away from the God who saved them. <clears throat> so it, it does everything but what our verse says here, right? To hold fast to Christ, to, uh, who is not only our good shepherd, but the true vine from whom all nourishment comes from, all stability comes from him. <clears throat> this is who God is. But when you go your own way, you stunt your own spiritual growth. Because like we read in Colossians, or excuse me, like, like it says in Corinthians, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Right? God is the one who gives the growth. We, we need to share God's word. We need to focus on God's word. We don't need to do our own thing. Right? We need to plant, water. This is what we need to do, but it, it's because God is the one who causes the growth. If we are not planting the seeds, if we're not watering them, if we've decided, hey, this is going to help this ground be uh, the, the most lush, nourished, rich soil it can be, if God doesn't cause the growth, it's all for nothing, right? So what we need to do, faithfully plant the seeds, faithfully water, because the growth comes from God, right? People are made Christians by God. Christian faith is the truth faith because God caused the growth. God changed the hearts, and God continues to work through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. So in closing, similar to EKG, um, we've got a, another acronym, and I hope that that's not the only thing that's remembered here, uh, but try and remember what those letters mean, right? Condemnation, disqualification, confusion. It's a mouthful, but this is what we see, or this is what I see here in this passage. Now, those words should trigger the thoughts that any time we try and take our own thoughts and our own hands and fix what God has already made perfect, all we can do is make things worse. That's it. All we can do is make things worse, right? God has commanded it. He has told us what it is. The only thing we can do with a bright, shiny pearl that God has polished himself is take these filthy mitts and make it dirtier, right? That, that's all we can do, right? We need to present God's truth the way it is. We don't need to try to clean it up, fix it, or anything. We don't add to it. We can't add to God's word and, and make it any per, more perfect than it already is. All we can do is make things worse by trying to add to it. Don't allow your personal convictions or your shortcomings, right, on either side, personal convictions or shortcomings, don't allow these things to be the lens through which you view the world or the local body, right? All of us have personal convictions. All of us do, right? I, I don't like wearing shorts for worship on Sunday, um, but that doesn't mean if someone does it, it's, it's, it's irreverent, right? Like, that's just me. I, I just, I, I can't do it. Some people think you have, always have to wear a suit. I mean, that's personal and it's great. Like, however you feel, whatever personally convicts you, by all means, stick to those things, right? But once we make man-made traditions, doctrines that we teach for the congregation, once we go that route, we've added to God's word. 
right? We can't do that. We have to take God's word, and that is that has to be the lens through which we view everything, scripture and scripture alone, right? If we go beyond that, we're no different than the ascetics that Paul is dealing with or these mystics uh, through his time. We must be people of the word, right? That that That's what's most important. We must be people of the word. We must read the word. We must study the word. We must apply the word. And most importantly, we must love the word. This is what we must do. We must do these things. And the reason we must love the word is because it is God's word, right? God is speaking to us through his word. We love him. We should love everything that he says, right? If we truly love him, that should be where our heart is. We must love what he has spoken. Now, if God and his word are priority to us, right, if we love it, if we study it, if we spend time in it, if we're sharing it with one another, if this is what we are doing, right, if as we do these things, it can only serve to help us build up one another. It can only benefit if our desire is to know more about God, right, if our desire is to learn more and devote ourselves to him more, if we are loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that the overflow of that is we're going to love one another like we love ourselves. That's, that's how that works, right? If we are trying to love people better and we're going to try to f- do these things to do that, we're, we're off site, right? I mean, our, we're off, we're, our focus is off. We must love God. And as we see who God is in his fullness and his majesty, that brings joy to our heart. And then out of that overflow, we're able to love one another. That's what we need to do. Don't find things to make you a better Christian, right? Don't find things to make you more devoted. Just focus on him. That That's what's most important. That's what's the simple truth, right? It's the truth that sets us free. It's his word that sanctifies us. Uh, it, it's, it's his word that must be the center of our lives so that as we do anything that we do, it's influenced by his word. So with that in mind, let us pray. <clears throat>